0: I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over a hundred speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're gonna enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to getlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews. And if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to getlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com.
1: Thanks for uh, joining on this uh, Friday afternoon. So um, yeah, quick story about our our past four years. It's been, uh, as always, a bit of a bumpy ride. Uh, Many of you here are uh, founders, so you certainly know uh, what I'm talking about. I'm pleased to share uh, some of the learnings that we had, because uh, I think some of it can be beneficial for any of you uh, raising money or facing a bit of a challenging situation. So that's what I'm trying to share. First, I'll start with uh, how the fundraising almost killed us. that's literally uh, what, what happened uh, at that moment. Uh, we raised money. We were super happy. But actually, it turned out not to be the best, uh, best choice in our life. Surprisingly, uh, and this may have happened to uh, some of you, how COVID actually saved us. Uh, so in the early days of COVID, we were very scared. But actually, it turned out to be a, more of a positive. And then sharing a few lessons learned from, uh, from that experience. So first about uh, the company Evolution. It's, it's quite an old company, if we could say so. Uh, it's a 12 years- old company. Uh, founded myself uh, with uh, three other uh, colleagues. Uh, for many years, we haven't been doing much. Um, it's rating quite a bit. I used to work for Apple for uh, uh, five years at the very beginning of iTunes. And the genesis of Kling was actually to put uh, iTunes as a white label. Uh, so the intent was really to provide the solution of selling your digital content, providing customer care, managing the payment. That was really what we were providing. Uh, when we launched, we were multimedia. And in the end of 2014, we started to focus on the video space. That's where it started to improve quite a bit. Uh, in 2018, we took a pivot to concentrate purely on subscriber management uh, within the video space. So if you think about uh, Peacock here in the US, um, uh, Netflix-like type of service, that's basically the type of services that we would power. And then, well, you see the, the recent growth and, and the acceleration. So the story for today is starting here in 2018. We had like, decent growth for like four years. So finally, we were able to uh, raise um, uh, some money. This is uh, really what, uh, what we did in, in 18. Uh, raised 5 million euros, which was very substantial for us. Prior, uh, prior to that, we only raised 1.5 million, so a fairly small amount. We were largely uh, bootstrapped. Uh, as soon as we got that money, uh, the investors told us, guys, you need to go and spend that money. You need to hire a lot of people. You need to increase your marketing spend. Uh, it's very important you achieve you know, your 50% uh, to 80% uh, growth. Um, uh, you need to do this in a short time frame. So you start to go, run, and you spend the cash as much as you can. Um, but unfortunately, uh, one of the investors, the one that came in actually in 18, uh, we are facing a few challenges in uh, in 19, and they tell us, "Look, guys, uh, we'd like to do an exit at the time where we started to spend like crazy." So, how does it look uh, very concretely? But the official announcement. Uh, so a uh, great moment, I think, for, for those of you who uh, had a chance to raise money. I think it's, it's a moment of relief, uh, because you've been uh, bootstrapping and, and, and working you know, with very limited resource. Finally, you get proper means to uh, accelerate your business. Uh, so finally, you do your nice press release, and you have a big party, and uh, you are ready to go. Uh, Why we raised that money, that's today's positioning of the company, at least to to explain a little bit. Um, uh, We wanted to build that uh, subscriber retention uh, solution. And we established this very well uh, nowadays. And that's why we we got that group. So that that was really the mandate from the fundraising. Uh, You get management of your subscribers. And we developed a very unique stack uh, for the analytics. And the combination of the two is what makes us quite unique inside the industry. So we started to invest in this, and that's how basically, uh, well, a very simplified view of, uh, of the P&L would look like. Uh, mostly looking at uh, at OPEX and, and losses. In that case, we've never been really losing a lot of money. But of course, you know, as you raise uh, with an investor, you start to spend way more substantially. Um, so you see that you go deep into the red. Um, and it starts to be scary, of course. Uh, you know, you, you start to burn uh, 200k at that time. We were burning about uh, 200k a month. So even if okay, you raised 5 million, actually, you realize that the 200k a month of burn uh, won't bring you very long until you run out of cash. Um, and because of that, we end up like 2019. So just like 18 months after raising funds. This is one of my messages, you know, end of the year, uh, 29th of December, you start to freak out, you know, you've not been sleeping very well for uh, quite a few nights already, and you start to spin the story to say, look, guys, you know, this is not all perfect, we are sorry, but actually there is some growth, uh, there is some potential, we are executing on our strategy, but we are running out of money, it's obvious, Um, so what do we want to do? Do we want to continue? Yes or no? Uh, or uh, do we stop the company? And to show how serious we were about stopping the company and how risky that time was, um, this is a mail that I wrote to um, our accountants. Um, because in Europe, you know, there's a bit of regulation uh, associated with uh, bankruptcy, especially if you are a founder. And you write your accountants, okay, what happens you know, from a pure liability standpoint if you crash the company? Um, and I can tell you this is very painful. Um, and I wish that uh, none of you have to experience this because you really realize that, okay, you've been putting uh, about eight years of efforts. Uh, my wife is a co-founder in, in the business. Uh, and you feel like, okay, potentially in three weeks, all of this will be over. Uh, and I will have to carry that legacy in the future. So, It really turned uh, back to to the fundraising, into a situation that was a bit shitty. The investor says, you know what? Actually, we have an offer on the table uh, to acquire the company for 14 million euros. Um, And all of them are saying, well, actually, this is a pretty good deal. Uh, You guys should take it, because anyway, the company is crashing. But then we do the math, and we see that for the four founders that we were, that's more or less uh, what we would end up with, luckily, uh, working through Apple and, uh, and a few other activities in, in my life, I, I did make a bit of uh, cash before. Um, so I said, no, this is not a good deal. You know what? If we crush the company, we crush it all altogether, uh, and that's it. Um, so um, the investors were a bit taken by surprise um, because we felt like, no, no, uh, let's do it nicely and so on. I said, no, I'm the CEO. I'm still owning uh, 22% of the organization with the rest of the founders and the friends and family, we were close to 50%, and we are close to 50% today. So we said, no, either we crash altogether or we continue altogether. Um, and actually, that paid off, because they reinjected a little bit of cash just to help survive uh, for the remaining six months. But they told us, OK, it's the last time uh, that we do this, um, and you'd rather take an exit. That's where comes the second chapter uh, of the story. Uh, when we got that offer at 14, this was like in Feb, March uh, 20, and suddenly uh, COVID kicks in. We cannot do the due diligence uh, because we were uh, outside of Europe. Um, so all of this is slowing down. Everybody also was um, in doubt what would happen you know, to the industry and how uh, many companies would react. So the process is slowing down. We were also uh, doing everything we could to, to slow it down. Um, we start to optimize uh, our business, and it's very similar. I don't know if some of you uh, saw the Prezo of Jill earlier, uh, metadata.io. Very similar process to look at our P&L, and l i will show some of the examples of what we did, uh, how you can optimize your uh, OPEX and, and cost, and how did we uh, actually re the business uh, after that. So here you see basically the two key metrics, I guess, that you, you monitor as a, as a business. One is uh, revenue, one is OPEX, one is, is RMR and, uh, and OPEX. And you realize, actually, running a business is fairly simple. Uh, these two lines needs to be at the same level. Uh, or ideally, the revenue is higher than uh, OPEX. Um, so you see more or less a gap between these two. Clearly, the red one. September 19 is higher than the blue one. Um, this is March 20, so this is a COVID period. And you see, basically, that the two by September 20, it starts to be at the same level, i.e., we become breakeven at that moment. So how, how, did, it, uh, how, how did we do? Um, and that's uh, maybe the, the, the main part of, of the present. I realized I could have split this in, in a bit further uh, slides. Uh, we really did it in three uh, main programs. But uh, it's that simple almost to uh, improve greatly uh, your, your runway uh, as an organization. First, and this was driven by COVID, and personally, uh, I've been you know, managing teams for, for quite a while in many different types of organizations. I would never have thought that we could work in a fully remote model. Uh, uh, we were fairly loose and open as an organization to let people work a day, potentially two uh, a week uh, from home. But at no point, I would believe uh, that it would be possible to run a business 100% remote. Um, but luckily, we had teams in, uh, so I'm based in the Netherlands. Our main uh, R&D center is in uh, Poland. Um, we have a large team in Manila in the Philippines for all the um, sales qualification process and some of the uh, customer care processes. And we have a distributed team in the US. So we were already largely working remote. We didn't fully realize it, but we were on on, uh, Google Workspace. Uh, We were using Dropbox. Uh, We were using, let's say, all of these kind of tools of Skype and chat and uh, and the rest. So we were largely already operating uh, as remote. But the moment you decide to move from you are largely operating remote. To you go 100% remote. You can save so much money. Honestly, if you guys need to save money, this is the largest part potentially of the saving that came from. You cancel all travel instantly, and at that time we we are just forced to do it. But all the little trips, you know, that everybody is doing here and there, uh, you do save, you know, a lot. It goes pretty fast. We stopped renting office, so a lot of people were not going at of the office, and we were still carrying the office. Said, but why do we keep an office? Uh, let's stop having offices. Um, so we only kept here. Uh, we we have an office on uh, 115 Broadway, uh, but it's an office for two people. Um, it's largely we use it as a mailbox, and we can still use the WeWork uh, card uh, to go in different locations. But we don't anymore. Let's say pay for the heavy office. So this was quite substantial. No more perks like the food. You know, every t- everybody. You know, the HR team was always, yeah, you know, well. It's important you know we, the fridge is always full and so on we but actually we we fill up the fridge on monday we throw half of the fridge on wednesday and we throw the rest of the fridge on friday and then we refill it up on monday uh, so not a lot of money maybe like 300 euro a week uh, but at the end of the day you know this just adds up and more of this uh, does add up um, so that was another element we started to do and we still do to this day. Uh, we started to do uh, every two weeks, there is a first day uh, call that um, we call tunnels. And these have proved extremely, extremely effective. You now I get often questions, how do you keep you know, the bonding? And, and that was really, I'm, I'm quite, I think, uh, social-oriented in the way we, we deal with, with the team. And one of the big weakness I felt about uh, remote is shit, but nobody will think they work for Kling, right? They will work for whatever desk they are at home, but how do they have this sense of belonging to the organization? And the way we created the sense of belonging was through these uh, bi-weekly, uh, bi-monthly tunnels. Uh, so how does it work with the tunnel? Basically, usually I do like a 10-minute intro um, about the uh, state of the business or uh, some important messages to pass. And then we invite about two to four guest speakers uh, from different fields of the organization. So sometimes we speak about the product, and because it's a new product release, sometimes we may speak about the uh, new clients that we signed, and then people start to go, okay, this is a new client, this is how we work, and so on, and this is why it's, uh, it's a cool client. Um, we run uh, mini interviews, we have a bit of format, when did you join, what do you do, uh, what people don't know about you. So suddenly if you do this every, week, every two weeks, you actually rotate quite a bit. We have now uh, 100 people in the organization. Uh, but by doing this, you, you do rotate quite a bit, and everybody gets some exposure. And that's how, let's say, we, we kept, let's say, the cohesion. We have very limited uh, staff turnover, and I think a big part of this uh, was associated with, uh, with the turnover execution. And the last point related to working remote is that we also financed <coughs> for, uh, for many teams. We, we allocated, uh, at that time, uh, we, we did it a few times, but typically it's, uh, it's an allocation of uh, 450 euros. But we said to people, OK, you can buy anything you want that helps you do your business at home. And because we had about, uh, so back then it was 20 people, now it's 30 people in, uh, in Manila. Can tell you, most of them they bought uh, an air conditioner because when they were working at the office, at the, they had airco at the office. But as they work from home, their homes didn't have airco, and they were so happy to be able to buy an airco and to bring the airco for the rest of their family that was living in the house. And because of that, you know, we have very limited turnover inside the team. So you really give the tools for these people to. Um, um, to work uh, better, uh, and this was a fairly small amount, you know, uh, 450. So that was one part of working remote. The second part, what we've been doing, and this has been also executed fast, and it went better than we could have uh, anticipated, is the uh, so-called uh, well, work from home was uh, what everybody knew, but we say actually, it's work, family, and health. This is what is most important in that period. Work is that we said we commit that nobody will get fired because of COVID. And this created also the cohesion inside the organisation to say, Okay, thank you, we appreciate that of course we were all scared. But we said our commitment, nobody gets fired. If somebody wants to move, okay they can move, but nobody gets fired. So the counterpart of that is that we had to reduce our opex and we've asked everybody to reduce the salary by twenty percent. Well between eight to twenty percent. So of course this was a bit bit of a hit, but then you, you felt like, guys, either we have a bit of a fraternity approach, and we all do a bit of an effort, um, or we'll have to fire 20% of the people. You know, it's, it's, it's one way or the other. It's a, it cannot just happen both ways. Um, and actually, everybody, we were at that time about 65, everybody but two employees uh, didn't accept that voluntary uh, salary reduction. That uh, was really interesting to, uh, to see that. Stop external services, well, that seems to be a no brainer. So, that was the work part. The second part was about the family, and we really wanted to create not only with the team in, 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 inside, but also uh, with our own families to say, okay, if you guys uh, need anything, you know, back to the ERCO example, uh, you could get this ARCO, Uh We tried to help each other, we recruited, you know, a few people uh, that were close to friends and this type of thing, so that helped uh, create that bond. And because people were staying at home, and like all of you guys, I'm sure you have a lot of engineers, you know, engineers are not very, uh, sometimes, you know, health centric or they don't always pay attention to, to their well being. Uh, so we started to give cooking tips and uh, fitness coaching, these type of things. Uh, and this really helped also. And last but not least, we said, okay, we just need to sign one big deal per year so to succeed. Uh, so we s- started to simplify everything. Uh, make it a lot easier uh, to, to focus our limited resource on this one objective. Get a loan from a bank. And we got the loan at the worst time. It was in June 20. Uh, went pretty fast. Make sure the platform works. So very limited priorities from pure business uh, running. So these were the main uh, main activities. Um, so basically, we were back to bookstrapping. That's the way I would mention it. Um, we didn't rely anymore on investors. And that was a change of mindset, which to this day, we still carry. I don't want anymore to rely on the investors because it creates the wrong behavior as you build your organization. You really want to build a good, proper organization. Uh, focus on the business metrics. Focus on uh, your clients, of course. Uh, remove all the nice to have. Concentrate on the must do. Create that unique culture through the tunnels and, and the rest and believe in yourself you know, to the point about uh, saying no to the investors and say, OK, if we crash, we all crash together. Uh, that was a very good learning. And uh, the change of all of this, at least uh, just to illustrate you know, the, the benefits. So that's what I was representing. That was the worst case, almost going bankrupt here. Uh, and investors saying, OK, well, you'd rather let go. And that's how things have turned out. Uh, so luckily, A, we didn't sell. And uh, B, uh, we didn't crash. Uh, so that was a kind of story. So um, to do a quick wrap, um, never underst- uh, underestimate your power as a founder. Uh, very often, you, you read all of these things you know, about uh, TechCrunch and uh, all the rest, about the yes, investors and co. And investors can be great. They really help optimize our processes. But I think at the end of the day, you are the one to run the show. Um, what you do is for your business and the employees of your organization, and keep on tracking your key metrics. At the end, there's so few, and that's easy to do.
0: Thank you. Uh, All right. Thanks, Jill. Great comeback story.
1: Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Any right. questions I'm happy to address after or now,
0: depending on the time. Yeah, if there's a question while uh, Joe gets mic'd up here. Is it? Oh, Yeah, go ahead.
1: Go ahead. Um, very good
0: story. Uh, All right, very good. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's a very fair point. I think it's uh, what well, we've been for long working more on, on mid-sized deals, like at uh, 50k um, average deal size, uh, yearly average deal size. Now some of our deals are in the million range. Uh, so that's, uh, but it's, it's kind of easier to, I think the, the mid-tail continues to flow. But somehow, from a mindset standpoint, we don't want anymore to concentrate so much on this kind of mid because we, this we became quite good. And I think you're you certainly right to say we need to be careful uh, and to continue to be diligent as, at closing those. Uh, but we feel that, especially as a SaaS, when, when you go more upmarket, you, you get into an opportunity to sign way bigger deal than you ever thought. Uh, and, and we keep on signing larger and larger. You know, So we move from 60K, 200K million, and now we're in the multi-million uh, software deals, so, uh, we, which I would never have thought a client would pay multi-million for software. But, well.
0: All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it.